Take your Bibles, if you would, and find Luke chapter 4. That's where we will spend our time together this morning as we continue to examine uh, the life that Jesus lived or how it is that Jesus walked as we've been uh, encouraged or exhorted to walk as Jesus walked. Now, one of the things I want to say right away as we begin is when you open your Bible to Luke chapter 4, you probably have a heading that says something along the lines of the temptation of Jesus. And uh, typically, when you look at Luke chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 4 is where you would find the parallel temptation of Jesus, uh, that is the focus of the attention. Uh, But this morning, we're actually not going to look at the events of the temptation of Jesus as much as we're going to look at, through this passage in its entirety, the influence and the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus around this time, okay? Um, And so that was just kind of to get us started here. Know that we won't be looking specifically at this temptation of Jesus, uh, but we will be looking at the role the Holy Spirit played as Jesus As we're seeing in a minute, was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. So what what role did the the Holy Spirit play as Jesus walked or lived this life, right? And, And it's important that we understand this because if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, then we have to understand how Jesus walked, okay? If the exhortation of Scripture is that we would model the life of Jesus, we must understand and, and, and really, I would say, have a growing understanding of the life that Jesus lived, right? Because we'll never fully understand and comprehend the life that Jesus lived. But as a believer, we ought to have a growing understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished. And, and, and as we look at the life that Jesus lived, that is our goal. How did Jesus walk? And as we understand or answer the question, how did Jesus walk, this is when we would insert the word, therefore, because we've learned how Jesus walked, therefore, we ought to walk as Jesus walked, okay? And so as I've said, the follower of Jesus cannot follow Jesus apart from walking as Jesus walked, okay? And I want to... I want to be clear this morning, but I don't want to be, I don't want to come across harsh, okay? Uh, if you've been here for very long, you know I'm kind of black and white, um, and I don't ever intend to be harsh or insensitive, but if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to do it on his terms, not yours. So if in your mind, you have some idea or ideal of how it is you're going to follow Jesus, and it's fabricated from anything other than what God's Word is is teaching and will communicate, I'm going to let you in on something. You're not following Jesus. And again, I understand that's blunt. Just look at the world we live in. We talk to people all the time that are following Jesus. And yet sin runs rampant and wicked in our context and in larger contexts. Well, how can that be? If so many people are walking as Jesus walked, and I don't want to say that nothing's happening, that God's not working. He absolutely is. But there's a whole lot of fruit of sinfulness, it would seem, in our world. And I think, 
I want to I level with you guys this morning. I want to be clear this morning. I think part of that is attributed to the fact that many people who attend church think they're walking with Jesus because they attend church. Or maybe because they read their Bible sometimes. Maybe because they read their Bible every day. But the reality is, if we're going to follow Jesus, we must understand that there are imperatives in Scripture and there are indicatives in Scripture. There are things you must know and there are things you must do. And if you are to follow Jesus, you must know uh, how Jesus lived and what Jesus expects. And then with the help of the Holy Spirit of God, you do what Jesus did. And the idea of following, we understand this, I trust, is simply to replicate. So if I'm following someone, it's not a whimsical, general, yeah, I'm I'm saying that I'm doing this. No, to follow somebody is to replicate them. It is to duplicate who they are and what they've done. And so to follow Jesus, we are to walk the way that Jesus walked. And last week, we examined together the humanity of Jesus. And we, and we stressed the importance of the humanity of Jesus um, in our lives as we live as believers and walk as Jesus walked. In the humanity of Jesus, in his humanity, we saw together that he did a few things that, that really empower us to live a life that follows Jesus, right? He defeated the devil. We saw this in Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. He defeated the devil, and in doing so, he freed the believer from sin and the power of sin and the penalty of sin. But what, one of the things we looked at and what we said, a reality of stressing the humanity of Jesus is if Jesus is not real to us, then his humanity is not going to make a difference in our lives. The humanity of Jesus accomplished a number of things for us practically while we live this life today. And so we must have, again, a growing understanding of the humanity of Jesus. Because if Jesus is not real to me, if Jesus is not real to you, then the things that Jesus did practically will have very little, if any, bearing on your life. If Jesus is reduced to a far-off, somewhere up there, big guy in the sky, no bearing or, or relationship on my life whatsoever, then the things that Jesus did as he walked in this earth will have no practical ramifications in your life. And this is why one of the things that that you might hear people say or or phrases that people use is, you know, they talk about following Jesus is not a religion. Following Jesus is predicated upon a relationship, a relationship that was broken because of sin and that by faith is restored because of the perfected, the the perfected work, excuse me, of Jesus. And so we're not trying to produce a system. We're not trying to create rituals or rules. We're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to walk as Jesus walked. And if the humanity of Jesus and the reality that he was a real person who lived on this earth and did real things is not practical in your life, then you're going to have a really hard time following Jesus. 
So we must grow in our understanding of the humanity of Jesus and grow in our understanding of the life that Jesus lived while he was in the flesh and on this earth. And one of the things I want us to understand, and we look at it, you know, we can't obviously exhaust any topic on a Sunday morning in 45 minutes, uh, but we can try to develop our understanding. And one of the things that I think needs to be developed in our lives when it comes to our understanding of the life that Jesus lived is the role that the Holy Spirit played in his life as he walked on this earth as a human. And I think it's so significant that we understand this, or again, have a growing understanding of this, because the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus indwells believers today, okay? And that's not to say, whenever you talk about the influence of the Holy Spirit on a person's life, and we look at the example of Jesus, we have to be careful, because that's not to say that we're going to automatically do all of the things that Jesus did, okay? Uh, Most of us, Most people, period, will never perform a miracle. But that does not negate or diminish the influence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so we want to understand the influence of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus because it's hopefully, as we're trying to follow Jesus, influencing our lives as well. And I want to tell you, I I would submit to you this morning that knowing that Jesus was indwelt with the Holy Spirit and that if you've trusted Christ, you're indwelt with the same Holy Spirit, I pray that that brings you encouragement. Because I want you to understand something. I had, um, some of you may have known this, but I had the privilege this week, um, every summer, um, Nick Wanniger hosts a running camp and a number of people get to be involved in that. And one of the things they do every morning is they have uh, a devotion and it's optional. The kids can come. They don't have to. And um, Nick had asked me a little while back if I would be willing to do a couple of those days. And I, I think this was my fourth year getting to go and do it. So I said, absolutely. And then, of course, with some of the things that transpired uh, with Nick a week or so ago, I said, if it would be helpful for you, I'll just take care of them. I'll, I'll do the devotions for you. And he said, okay, you know, that's great. And so I did that. And so I got to go every morning, and I want to tell you that Tuesday through Saturday, over a hundred junior high and high school kids gathered in this open area down at Lincoln State Park, and I got to just open God's Word and communicate it to them. And one of the things that I told them yesterday, and our final devotion was this, and here's why I'm telling you this story, because we need encouragement. We need to know that the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus indwells us if we've trusted Christ for salvation because following Jesus is hard. If you're really going to follow Jesus, it will be hard. And that's just because we live in a fallen world. And that's what I told these kids. I said, I wish it wasn't difficult. I wish identifying with Jesus and following him, that is trying to duplicate his life and and literally be a little Christ. That's what the word Christian means. Not a self-righteous, holier-than-thou little Christ, but somebody who desires to follow after and reproduce what Jesus did in his earthly life. If you want to do that, I want you to understand something. I told the kids, and I'm telling you, you are swimming upstream. upstream. 
And there will be times in your life when you really try to follow Jesus that it's going to bring pain, it's going to bring difficulty, it's going to bring turmoil, it's going to break relationships, it's going to cost you jobs, it's going to cost you who knows what. Many people over the last 2,000 years who followed Jesus, it cost them their life. Because following Jesus is hard when you live in a world that hates him. But we shouldn't be surprised, right? Because Jesus said things like, no, the world will hate you because it hated me first. And a slave is not greater than his master. But that doesn't mean we wave the white flag and we say, oh, darn it. The world hates us and the world hates Jesus, so we just got to mope through life. If Jesus is our example, that's not what he did. He didn't mope through life. He stood for what was true and what was right. And he lived the life that was faithfully, perfectly obedient to the will of his Father. You think of the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, where it talks about Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And in verse 3 it says, Consider Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He's now finished his work and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. So I want you to understand something. Okay? Following Jesus is going to be difficult. And if you would say, well, I don't really think following Jesus is difficult. I'm not going to tell you you're not following him. But I do want to encourage you to ask yourself, am I following him on his terms? But we need encouragement because it's difficult. And I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit brings encouragement into our lives. People bring encouragement into our lives. And the same Holy Spirit indwelt Jesus indwells us. I'm in my mind, I'm like counting, is that the fourth or fifth time that I've said that? It's significant. It matters in the life of the believer. But I want you to understand as we consider the Holy Spirit, one of the things we're going to look at today is that the, the Spirit has influence in our lives only as we yield to it. Okay? That's why we want to grow in our understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and how he functions and what he does in our lives. And so I want to look at one passage together this morning, right there in Luke chapter 4. I want to look at it together. I want to take some things from it. Um, We're going to read the first 15 verses of Luke chapter 4. And like I said, we're going to look at a couple things in the first verse, and then we're going to skip to the end of that text. But I want to read the whole uh, temptation of Jesus just for the purpose of context. So beginning in verse 1, chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. 
And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So again, I, I trust this is a passage of Scripture that's fairly familiar. Again, we know that Jesus has just been baptized and, and the proclamation has been made that this is the Son of the Father in whom the Father is well pleased. Um, and, and then the Bible tells us that Jesus was full of the Spirit and that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. I want to look at this idea of Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. This is the first thing for our examination this morning as we consider Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And he lived in light of the Spirit in his life. All right, and so I'm going to give you four manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ as found here in Luke 4. Now again, we're not going to look at them in the sense that they have ramifications on his temptation and overcoming his temptation, but just some of the statements that are made about the Spirit in this passage. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And being full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus lived his life under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. You see, Jesus was full of the Spirit. This is an interesting phrase in my mind, perhaps in yours as well, and ought to, I don't know if your mind works like mine. Lots of times I read things and questions come to mind. I become curious. I wonder, what exactly... Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are both members of the Trinity, that they are both fully God, that they are equal in standing, that they have distinct roles. And so we think, what does it mean Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit? I think to have a good understanding of this is uh, it's necessary for us to look at, you don't have to turn, I'll just read it for you. Another passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says in chapter 5, verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And there's something that's being uh, communicated or conveyed here. And I think that um, this gives us a good idea, right? But at the same time, we have to say, now hold on, Pastor, because I, you've said over and over already this morning that if I've trusted Christ, I have the Holy Spirit. I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So what do you mean we should be being filled with the Spirit? What is Paul talking about as he writes to the church at Ephesus? I would say, as we've noted already, yes, if you have trusted Christ for salvation, if you have genuinely been born again by faith in the, in the, the finished work of Christ, then you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. But for us to have good understanding of, okay, well, what do we mean by being filled I want us to look at another sentence that Paul uses in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he, he tells the readers there, do not quench the Spirit. So you see, we've got this, this activity at play in the life of the believer where the, the influence of the Spirit 
in our lives is the, the subject of the conversation. Because that's what we're talking about when we talk about being full of the Spirit. It's about being under the influence of the Spirit. And that's why I think Paul so beautifully communicates this when he says in 5.18 of Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine. Everybody understands the picture of drunkenness. It's, it's a substance outside of me that is controlling and influencing my life. It influences my ability to function. It influences my ability to think. It, it, it inhibits my ability to do things. And this is what Paul's saying. Something is influencing your life. And if you're going to follow Jesus, that something that's influencing your life needs to be the Holy Spirit of God. And so Paul says, don't quench it. Don't live for the passions of your flesh. Don't live fulfilling the, 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 the lust of your life. Don't quench the Spirit's influence in your life. Rather, live in subjection to the Spirit's leading in your life. Know God's word. Have a growing understanding of God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to implant it deep within your heart and in your life that you can live it out, living a life that is full of the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say many a times right here from this platform, there is no such thing as neutrality. Neutrality is a myth in every way. And I've used this example every time I say that. If you have a stick shift vehicle, I'm talking to adults now because none of you kids probably know how to drive one. If you have a stick shift vehicle, even on the flattest of grounds, when you put your park in or when you put your vehicle in neutral, what's the first thing you do? Put your foot on the brake. Why? Because really there's no such thing as neutral in the sense that we're not moving. And in the life of a believer, I'm either being filled with the Holy Spirit or I'm not. There is no middle ground. Once again, there is no in-between. And Jesus lived his entire earthly life under the influence of the Spirit. And guys, you and I are called to do the same thing. To live a life that is filled with the Spirit. That is, that is influenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Now, I have to say, as a quick disclaimer, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we are not talking about it in the sense that we see it utilized today um, in, a, in a charismatic or a Pentecostal sense. Being filled with the Spirit does not equate to, um, and I'm, I'm not being facetious when I say this, like these are some of the activities that take place in churches today, okay? So I'm not trying to be, you know, harsher and sensitive, but you know, there's literally churches today where people like run up and down the pews and bark like dogs and scream and yell and you know, that's not what Paul's talking about when he says be filled with the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit of God being so present in your life that it guides you as you live this life. It means you live with sensitivity toward the things of God because you have a growing knowledge of God's Word and because the Spirit is implanting it deep in your heart and giving you the conviction to live out what you're learning. Are we mindful, you and I, of what God desires? Are we growing in our understanding of his word? 
so that the Spirit can teach us all things? Listen, as much as the next person, I wish osmosis was true. I wish I could put this under my pillow at night. It would be a little uncomfortable, but it would be worth it. If I could just go to sleep and wake up the next day and know more of God's word. But it doesn't work that way. If the Holy Spirit is going to develop biblical convictions in our hearts and in our lives, then we must know the Bible. Okay? And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit that he might fill us and that he might lead us and be an influence in our lives. Again, we understand the word influence. Okay? We understand this, especially, again, given the context of Paul's usage of it in Ephesians 5. And something is influencing our lives. It's either the Holy Spirit of God or anything else. So I want to ask you, do you desire the things that God desires? Are we doing the things that are pleasing to him? Because these are markers of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. I think of passages like Psalm 37, 4, where it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And many a people have said Psalm 37, 4, Nope, if I just, if I just delight myself in God, he's going to give me all the things that I want. And that might sound facetious, but it's not. That's how a lot of people approach God's word. But that's actually not what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 37, 4. What the psalmist is communicating is the more you align yourself with God, his word, and his desires for you, the more his desires become yours. And yes, there is a reality that as we align ourselves with God and as we live in subjection to his word being led by the Spirit, there's blessings that come with that. And that might look like some of the things that you long for and desire in this life, but it might not. You know, when, when I finished Bible college, I had a really, really strong desire. I wanted to be close to home in Michigan. I had a lot of unsaved family and friends, and I just always felt like I wanted to be really close to home. And I know Indiana's like only one state away, and before Indiana we were in Illinois, and that's also only one state away, but I really wanted to be closer. And um, you know, it's been 11 years now since I graduated Bible college, and uh, it's amazing how I do not want to be anywhere near Michigan. I'm good to visit and then come back, okay? And that's not because I don't love my family. That's not because there's not still unsaved people who need Jesus. Of course, both of those things are true. I love my family and there's still people who need Jesus. But the more that I sought Jesus and his will for my life, the more I had peace about not being there. And I tell people, many of you have probably heard this, now that we live here, we've been in southern Indiana almost eight years now, and I tell people, this is the first place we've ever lived since we left Battle Creek, Michigan, that we call home. This is home. And when we went back to Michigan last week to visit, two weeks ago over the 4th, we were visiting. That's not our home. This is our home. And so if we delight ourselves in the Lord, if we seek him through his word, if the, the, Spirit's present, the Spirit's presence in our life is real and filling, it's amazing how our desires will align with the Lord's. 
If we're going to walk as Jesus walked, we must be filled or full of the Spirit. And the reason for that is simple. Because we got to be full of the Spirit because in our lives, we're led by the Spirit. Because that's exactly what verse 1 of chapter 4 tells us again. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, and because he was full of the Holy Spirit, when he returned from the Jordan, the Spirit led him somewhere else, led him to a a new task. It's interesting, that task, as we've examined. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the Spirit of God, when influencing our lives, will lead us to where it is God would have us. You see, Jesus needed to be tempted by the devil. Jesus needed to overcome the temptation, demonstrating his humanity, right? Because it says there that after being tempted for 40 days, he was hungry. And we looked at the humanity of Jesus last week. And in demonstrating his humanity and, and overcoming temptation, he's demonstrating or he's showing us that he has overcome that temptation. And that's why the writer of Hebrews can say, That though he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. See, that's significant. If Jesus had not been tempted and overcome temptation, could we really look at him and think, man, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He can sympathize with the reality of being tempted. You see, we couldn't. If we didn't see in God's word that Jesus had been tempted and it was the Spirit of God according to the purpose of God that led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And as a believer, when you're full of the Spirit and you're led by the Spirit, I want you to understand something. It's not always going to be easy or enjoyable. We, you know, I try not to just stand up here like I'm waving a white flag and, you know, the world we live in is going to pot. But I also don't want us to be naive. Right? We, we, we live in a world where what God is calling us to do very well might have consequences in our lives. You know, I would submit to you one of the greatest ways that, that we see really seeking to put God first and and honor him in our lives, especially for young people, is in relationships. You know, if we're full of the Holy Spirit and we're being led by the Holy Spirit to do things that honor God, they may not be easy and they may not be enjoyable. But I want you to understand something. You're either going to honor God or you're not. I was watching a TV show last night, an old late 90s sitcom that I grew up watching, and it's on one of the streaming services, and I was watching it, and the premise of the show is the man is a a manager of a factory, and um, there was some things going on with the factory, and he had to do this thing that was really, really difficult. Um, It was unfair to the one individual, but if he didn't do this thing that was difficult and unfair to the other individual, um, then, then more people could potentially lose their job if the company didn't get this you know, particular contract. And so it's not meant to be a serious, well, it was kind of meant to be a serious thing, but it's not serious. And I'm not saying that this uh, character was being led by the spirit, but as I was watching this, what kept coming to my mind is he waffled back and forth. 
as he talked with his bosses, as he talked with his wife about this decision, and it's not fair here, and it's not fair there, and how do I make this decision, and what do I do? This is what came to my mind. You just do what's right. And if you are going to set out in this life to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and do what is right, being full of and led by the Holy Spirit, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. We may have to go against the grain. We may have to say, you know what? I understand that popular opinion says this, but God's word says this. And if I'm going to follow Jesus, I've got to adhere to God's word. Doesn't matter if it's not popular. Doesn't matter even, we say that a lot, right? Well, it may not be popular, but how about this one? What if what God's word says challenges our thinking? What if the issue isn't what's popular? What if the issue is what we think is right? I think this is right, or I think this is okay, or I think I should be able to do this, or I think I should be able to have this. What if God's word says the contrary to that? Are we being filled with the Spirit? Are we being led by the Spirit to know and then to do that which is right, that which is most pleasing to the Lord? Because being led by the Spirit is not always easy. But anyone seeking to walk as Jesus walked they can be assured that though they might have to do difficult things that the Spirit leads them to do, they can rest assured that the same Spirit that enabled Jesus to overcome temptation or to make it through a given difficulty indwells the believer today. And here's the deal. We either believe that or we don't. And, and like, I'm preaching that to myself as much as the next person. God's either faithful to his word or he's not. And if God is faithful to his word and we're being filled by and led by the spirit, then we do what's right because this is what God's word calls us to and this is what Jesus has exemplified. So he was full of the spirit. He was led by the spirit. And now I want to jump down to verse 14. Well, after the temptation of Jesus, we see here that he begins his earthly ministry. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. He returned in the power of the Spirit. Listen, Jesus, as he was full of and as he was led by, he was also empowered by the Spirit. Okay? He was empowered by the Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit was evident in Jesus' life. And I want you to understand that when the Holy Spirit has influence in the life of the believer, his presence will be obvious and evident in the believer's life as well. The Bible tells us the Spirit of God led Jesus back to Galilee. Now, in, in Luke's account here, it might look like right after he was tempted, he went back to Galilee. There's actually about 18 months uh, as we compare other, the other Gospels, there's actually about 18 months between when Jesus was tempted and this scene now of him returning to Galilee to minister. But, but Luke tells us that while he was there, he performed miracles and he taught amazing, eloquent things 
to the amazement of the people. But when Jesus, being empowered by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, led of the Spirit, when he read from the prophet Isaiah, we, we saw that the, the tone turned really quick, didn't it? The people were all excited about the things that Jesus proclaimed. That the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. We'll look at this in a minute. For a purpose of proclaiming good news and proclaiming liberty and recovering sight of blind. The people were all for that. But when Jesus said, you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you, they didn't like it. But he was right. They didn't. And so he's claiming to be the Messiah that Israel had waited for. I want you to understand something. Jesus knew the ramifications of the statement when he told the people, the one Isaiah prophesied about is standing in your midst. And when he took it a step further and said, but you're going to challenge that, the people became enraged. Literally says, they tried to kill him on the spot. Like, they were done with this Jesus guy. The Bible tells us he went away, he slept out of their midst, and he went away. Sometimes we need to rest upon the fact that the, the Holy Spirit of God will empower us to do that which is not easy. And you see, this all works together, right? And that's why the bulk of our time was spent on this reality of being full of the Spirit. It's almost like that was point one, and now we've got 1A, 1B, and 1C. The crux of the matter is being filled with the Spirit so that you can be led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to do that which may have ramifications that are unfriendly or unkind. We've said over and over already this morning, and we don't need to belabor the point, that following Jesus is difficult. And doing what is pleasing to the Lord is oftentimes frowned upon. And there's great anxiety that can come with following the Lord faithfully. There's great angst that can accompany going against the status quo or going against the grain. But God's word tells us that God is faithful through the presence of his Holy Spirit to empower us as we're filled with the Spirit to do even the things that are not easy. Jesus was empowered, he was led, he was full. The last thing I want you to see here, finishing up, is verse 18. He was anointed by the Spirit. This is just what he says as he reads from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. You see, as Jesus is full of the spirit, as you and I are full of the spirit, it becomes clear to us, clear to us what it is that God has for us. What is the task? And, and, and we think about this reality of being anointed. In Luke chapter 3, just before this in verse 22, at the baptism of Jesus, Luke says, And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. You see, the Father was pleased by the Son. The Son had been appointed to do the will of the Father. 
And the will of the Father, we see from the prophet Isaiah that Jesus reads here, was that the anointed one would come and he would truly proclaim faithfully and honestly and rightly, truthfully, that good news was coming for those who were captive. Freedom was coming for those who desired it and who were, were lacking it in their lives. He come proclaiming the, the year of the Lord's favor. You see, to be anointed is to be given a specific task. Oftentimes, I think when we encounter this word anointed, we can tend to think of this super fanciful, like really spiritual action. It's really simply just to have been given a task. Being anointed is kind of like being appointed. And Jesus had been anointed as the Messiah to carry out um, not just this proclamation of this good news for the poor and these, this liberty or freedom that was coming, but he was anointed to live a perfectly, faithfully obedient life to the will of the Father at great expense to himself. That was his appointment. He was anointed for the purpose of dying. And the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so the Messiah comes, he declares that this prophecy was fulfilled in their presence. The one who has been anointed, chosen by God to bring you true freedom, to bring you true liberty is standing in your midst. This is what Jesus says. And then I love the picture. Can you imagine the scene for these people when Jesus gets up and dude hands him the scroll and he opens it, it's the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads about how he's the Messiah. You understand the ramifications of claiming that you are the Messiah? If you don't understand those ramifications, that's why they killed Jesus. And Jesus claims to be the Messiah, rolls the scroll back up, gives it back to the attendant, tells him, oh yeah, That's me. Closing him, anyone? (laughs) Like that's kind of like this this scene that I see. Can you imagine that room, that synagogue when Jesus says, I am the Messiah? And he was anointed as that. And as we see this dialogue begins, the people become enraged. And on the spot, they try to kill him. They're verifying exactly what he said. I am the Messiah who's been anointed by God to come and release the captives. To proclaim truth so that people could be set free by truth. Sometimes... You and I need to be reminded that trusting Christ and being indwelt with the Spirit is what we need to carry out the task that we've been given. The task, in some cases, varies from person to person. Some tasks do not. And and, and not that we have the, the ability as Jesus to proclaim as he did as the Messiah, But every believer has a shared responsibility of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Christ, you have been anointed or commissioned or tasked with proclaiming the good news of Jesus. 
that the Messiah came and he stood in the midst of the people and he said, I'm your Messiah, and that they killed him for it and that three days later he rose from the grave and just like we sang before I got up here, yet not me, but Christ in me. That's what we proclaim. And so as uh, anointed people, proclaimers of the good news of Christ, we must understand we've been committed to carrying out this commission. The desire of Jesus for his followers is that they would walk like he walked. That's the goal. That's the desire. And we must understand, or again, when I say understand, have a growing understanding that the Holy Spirit was active and influential in the life of Jesus If we're going to walk like Christ, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. And we must be living our lives being filled with his influence daily. We must be growing in our understanding that as we are filled, he will lead us to do the things that God has anointed us to do. And it might be different for you than it is for me. But it's the indwelling, filling presence of the Spirit that helps you to know and then compels you to do it. And so as we know what God has for us to do through the power of the Spirit, we can do it. And so I would ask you this. Do you walk like Jesus in your reliance upon the Holy Spirit to guide you through life? Is the Holy Spirit an afterthought? I will tell you it's my conviction that in a lot of churches and for a lot of church people, the Holy Spirit is a lesser member of the Trinity. He's afterthought. He's the leftovers. Nobody would ever use those words, but our lives demonstrate that that's how we view him. And so do we rely upon the Spirit to guide us through this life? I would encourage you today, if you've trusted Christ, to, to ask God to help you today to yield to and to be empowered by his Holy Spirit for your good and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the promise and the presence of your Holy Spirit. I thank you that the same Spirit, your word tells us, that rose Jesus from the grave and dwells the believer today. The same Holy Spirit So I pray this morning, God, that you would help us to be mindful of the Holy Spirit, that we would seek his filling in our lives and that we would be sensitive to his leading and understand that as we follow, God, you through your Holy Spirit, you give us the power to do what you've called us to do. Help us today, God, for our desires to align with yours. Help, God, your will to be our will. Help us to bring you glory through our lives as we rely upon and are led about by the Spirit. Help us to be sensitive today, God, to his influence in our lives and to the need that we have to be continuously influenced by your Spirit. Work in us and through us, God, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray.